This message by Jake Simmons was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Jake serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Good morning. My name is Jake Simmons, one of the pastors here, and I have the the privilege to preach God's Word to us this morning. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19, the little brother of Psalm 119. Uh, this, this morning and next Sunday, we want to set aside time to stir our hearts for what Bill was talking about. We, we, we don't want to go into this next year presuming that our hearts are, are ready to read God's Word and prepare to enjoy God's Word. And so we want to take two Sundays to remember what is God's Word. Why is it important? What is it? How are we to read it and enjoy it? So this morning is going to be the first message of that in Psalm 19. And what it is an amazing reality, isn't it, that we can say that God wrote a book. God wrote a book. Pages upon pages of God in a book. We hear His heart We hear His voice. We hear His wisdom. We see and remember His great acts. And the book that we hold in our hands is a gift from God Himself. So what do you see when you look at the Bible? What do you see when you think about the Bible? Has the Bible just become lifeless words on a page? Have they just become cold words? words have do that does the bible seem outdated does it seem irrelevant does it seem boring does it seem burdensome or do you see and what i hope you see is the bible as a window a, the bible can be a window which we are able to look in that takes us to a whole other world and what i mean by that is not another world detached from ours but it helps us see this world rightly. It helps us to understand and know why we were created, why we live in this world. As John Calvin says, the Bible functions like glasses or like spectacles that you put on. And what the Bible does is it helps us to see truly who God is, who we are, and what this world was made for. The Bible is God's greatest gift to us outside of His Son. God's Word awakens our dead, bored souls. It frees us from bondage to sin. It comforts the depressed. It inspires the discouraged. It guides the confused. It encourages us and reminds us that God still speaks today. He is still speaking. Where Scripture speaks, God speaks. This is how... The psalmist, how David says it in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. This, this is God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect. Verse 7, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. The Psalms were a written testimony of what life can look like according to God's word. It is by no accident that the entire Psalter begins with a man who delights in the law of the Lord. On it, he meditates day and night. So Mike will be preaching this text next week. The book of Psalms are described as the hymn book of the people of Israel. They are poetry. They are meant to be sung. They are meant to be read as poetry. There are 150 Psalms in the Bible. Those Psalms are prayers. They're songs. They're laments. They're public and private grievings. They're confessions. The Psalms are filled with emotions. Even as Bill was reading from Psalm 119, you can sense. These are not just dead words on a page, but you feel the heart of the author. You feel and sense the the seriousness of his love and devotion to the word of God. When the Psalms are loud, they are deafening loud. They are filled with happiness. They are filled with joy. They are filled with great satisfaction in God, but then yet they are also filled with grief and sorrow, yet connected with hope. What you get from the Psalms is a picture of life when it is lived with all its joys and sorrows under the Word of God. I think that's why the church throughout history has loved the Psalms. It's because when they look at their life, when they think about where they are and the experiences, the good, the sorrow, the hard the wounds that they bear, when they think about their own life, when they consider all of what God's Word has to say, they can find in the Psalms a place to go and be able to communicate what is in their heart. They love God's Word. The church has loved God's Word. We love God's Word. So while all of Psalm 19 is worth our consideration this morning, we're only going to focus on verses 7 through 11. Psalm 19, David writes of two books that God has created us to know, given us to know him. The first is natural revelation, the created order. The heavens declare the glories of God. The sky above proclaim his handiwork. We can know God through what he's created. But yet God in his mercy has not only given us creation to know him, but has given us a word, what's called special revelation. He has revealed himself. He has given us not just things for us to behold, but he has given us words to know personal words which reveal who he is. These words, this special revelation of God leads us ultimately to know that we need to be rescued, that we need to be redeemed. It leads us to God himself. So if I could capture in a sentence what I think David is inviting us to this morning, what he's calling us to, I would say this, he wants us to enjoy God through his sufficient and satisfying work. Enjoy God through his sufficient and satisfying word. So two points to help us unpack this this morning. First, what God's word is and does. Verses 7 through 9, what God's word is and does. In Psalm 19, 7 through 11, we get six declarations. We get six statements from David about what God's word is and how it is, an adjective, and then an effect. And so he just walks through and declares 
Here's what God's word is. Here is a description of it. Here is the effect it has on us. And so it gives us the identity of Scripture. It gives us the characteristics of Scripture. And it gives us the effect of Scripture. So we're going to walk through each of these verses and just consider what David said of God's Word. The way that I think of it and I think might help you is we're going to lift up the jewel of God's Word. And we're going to turn it. And we're going to consider different aspects of it. And, and David's going to hold our hand. He's going to tell us, here, consider this about God's word. Have you thought about this characteristic of God's word? When, when your life and, your, and the light of this world hit this aspect of God's law and his word, see what happens in your life. So he wants us to see and enjoy God and know that God's word truly is sufficient. So first, in verse 7, we're given this statement. First, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. So here, law is not meant just the Ten Commandments. Law here does not mean just the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. What it means is the entire law that was given to Moses. The first five books of our Bibles. All that He has in mind here. And he, So another word that we could use to describe this is all of God's revelation, His Scripture, God's Word that He has given His people. What is it? Well, it is perfect. It is perfect. It's lacking nothing. The perfection here, the idea is flawlessness. This perfection carries with it the idea of completion. The law of God, God's word is sufficient. It's complete. You go to it, you you can go to it knowing that it has everything that you need in it. There's no flaw that can be found in it. It is without error. So in other words, the law of the Lord has divine integrity. So this law that we go to that is trustworthy, that is perfect, that is comprehensive, that covers every area, what effect does it have on us? It revives our soul. So we go to it. And what does that mean? What does it mean that it revives our soul? It means this idea carries with it. It brings a person back. It restores life. It gives you life. So the law of God, when you think about the law, don't think burden. Think life-giving. Think restoration. Think it brings you back to God. I love the story of Emile Calliette. He was from France. He was an agnostic. He graduated from university without ever having seen a Bible. He served in World War I. He, wrote, he said this, The inadequacy of my views on the human situation overwhelmed me. What use the philosophic banter of the seminar when your own buddy at the time speaking to you of his mother dies standing in front of you, bullet in the chest? So for him, he's thinking, how, these philosophies that I know, what does it have to say about that, of the realities of war? Well, eventually he was shot and he, was, he returned home. And what he began to do was search for a book that he said, I want to find a book that understands me. He began to collect all these quotes, all these things that rang true to him, and he began to make his own book because he couldn't find his own. And then one day he began, he, he finished his book, he goes to a tree, he begins to read this book, and as he's making his way through his book of what he collected of truth and statements and worldview and how to think of this world, as he began to read it, the same effect began to come over him. This book does not understand me. This book does not understand the world that I live in and the questions that I have, the sorrow and the reality of death that I have seen. 
And so Emil's wife comes walking down the road, and she had been given a Bible by a priest. And as she walks by him, he asks, what is that? And she says, oh, it's a Bible. He takes this Bible from his wife. He opens the Bible and begins to read the gospel. He begins to read the Beatitudes. He began to come face to face with God's revelation. He began to read, and this is what he said. I read and I read and I read. Now aloud with an indescribable warmth surging within, I could not find words to express my awe and wonder. And suddenly the realization dawned upon me. This was the book that would understand me. This was the book. Lo and behold, the one of whom they spoke, this book, the one who spoke and acted to them became alive to me. That's what God's word does, is that it comes into our life. It warms our heart. It invites us and beckons us. And actually, it brings us to God. It, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So if you are a Christian here this morning, the, the reason that you are is because you have heard God's word and it has brought you to God and you have repented and you have restored and you have been brought to new life because of that word. And if you're a Christian, the good news is, is that that's what Scripture does all our lives, is that it brings us back to God time and time again. We never outgrow our need for this word. So this is the reviving power of God. Second, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the word testimony here, it speaks of the divine witness that is in Scripture. The testimony found in this book. What God's Word, what the Bible says about the Lord and the things of the Lord, it's true. It's sure. It's unmistakable and unwaving. And so when, when we read about even Psalm 119 and all throughout Scripture, what it says about God's Word, it is a trustworthy testimony. It is a testimony that we can hear and know that this is true. If we were to pl place this book as it were, in the witness stand, and we were to judge it and ask it questions and read the contents of what is in it and see if the merits of them are true, what David is saying is, yes, they are sure. They are a sure testimony. Trustworthy. They are unmistakable. They are unwavering. There is no mistake. What the biblical authors wrote in here through the power and influence of the Holy Spirit is exactly what God wanted them to write. So that when we hear the testimony of this word, when we hear truths about who God is, when we hear about truths about who we are, when we hear and remember the coming of Christ, we can know these testimonies can be trusted. They are sure. And the good news is, is they make wise the simple. They impart wisdom to the simple. To the one who goes through life aimlessly, following whatever is thrown at him, the one who is naive, tossed to and fro, what that person needs, what every child needs who comes into this world with foolishness bound in their heart and just attaching themselves to what this world has to offer. What they need is they need the sure word of God. They need to hear the testimonies of what God has said. What I needed to hear when I was in college and, and just following this world is the sure testimony of God. Because I was very simple-minded. I was a fool of fools, and yet I was made wise. And that does not mean that my mind was filled with just knowledge about God. What I learned is that I learned truth about who God is 
And then I, I was able to take that knowledge and I was actually able to live in a way that is pleasing to God. In a way that I can live in a way that is obedient to God. That I can, I can know how to live unto Him. Do you need wisdom for your life? Don't discount this book. Don't turn to other things before turning to this. Go to God's Word. It's trustworthy. Its testimonies are sure. You can trust it. It's been time-tested. There's wisdom here to be had. Third, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts of the Lord can be likened to the principles, the values that God provides us for daily living. So think about God has given us a path to walk in. God has provided us. He, when, when the people of Israel, if you think about it, if we're talking about the law and Moses and this time frame, they had no idea what they were doing. They were like, how do we be a nation? What, how do we do this, God? How do we function? How do we follow you and worship you rightly? And, so, and God said, I'm going to give you precepts that are right, that you can follow. It's going to be a path which you can walk down and know that it's the path that I have created for you. And it's the right path. You're not going to get lost on this path. I, whenever I go hiking with my family, I always think, I don't want to get lost I don't want to take them down the wrong path. I hate being lost. I hate not knowing where I'm going. I hate not knowing where am I supposed to go from here. And with God's word, what we have is the precepts of the Lord are right. This is the right path. If you ever wonder, which, which way should I go? Should I do this or that? God's word is right. His precepts are right. His principles, his values, what he has to say about things is right. So if your, pre, if your values are beginning to bump up against God's word. And if they are beginning to differ than God's word, well then the reality is, is God's word is not the one that needs to change. But it's our values. It's, it's, it's the way that we're living. It, it's, it's the things that we're beginning to value more than God's word that need to change. But the good news is, is that it gets us back on the right path. God's path. And so it, this path, it rejoices the heart. So this path is not one where it leads to just this heavy burden of just you got to do what I say and you got to follow me. And if you go other, if you go any other way, it's going to be miserable. No, what the psalmist is saying, you follow down this path, there's joy. Your heart is going to be filled with joy. You, if you listen to my precepts, if you value what I value, if you listen to what I have to say, what's going to happen? Joy is going to fill your heart. You're going to love me. You're going to love your life, not because you're doing what you want to do, but you're believing that I actually know better than you. And what I say, the precepts, the values that I have is actually going to serve you. Next, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word is pictured here as his command, his divine mandate. His word is authoritative. There's really where... Scripture is clear on certain commands and certain things. It's, if it's authoritative, there's nothing to question about it. We, the call for us is simply to obey God and trust God. It's pure. We live in a day and age where authority is, is met with skepticism and suspicion. Yet we as the church, we as people who love God's word, we have to fight against this. We don't approach God's word the same way we do the internet. We don't approach God's word the same way we do our job or our classroom. We approach God's word 
humbly. We approach God's word not with suspicion, but humbly ready to receive and follow. We come to God's word trusting it. We come to God's word realizing that it is pure. It is the authority in our lives. Part of the reason that there's such mistrust with authority is because authority can be abused and misused. And people have had that effect. And David knows this. He's aware of that. David is a king where you see he has misused his own authority. Yet, God's commands, his authority, it has no blemish. It's pure. It's pure. What does David mean by pure? Well, it's clear. Another way to render this purity is that it would be radiant. The commands of God are radiant. This is where we're able to enliven the eyes. And so as you follow God's law and you live under his authority, what you do is you don't feel squashed. You don't feel like I don't have a say. Actually, what begins to happen is your eyes become enlivened. You actually begin to see. You actually begin to understand what God has said and who he is. It dispels the darkness of of all that is around us, all the confusion that we face, the fog as you were driving in to church this morning. You can just feel like there's this fog that I face. I just can't see clearly. What am I to do? How am I supposed to live? The command of the Lord is pure, enlivening. It's radiant. It, 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 God has not only provided a path, but in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the clouds, in the midst of when you can't see that path, just follow his command. Trust his word. And what will happen is as you follow him, your eyes will be enlivened. The path will become more clear. Where you're going will be evident. Your heart will rejoice. You will trust God and see that his word is sure. The psalmist continues in verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. That David has in mind here that fear of God that the Bible produces in us. So it is clean both in terms of its essence and its impact on our hearts. So this fear of God that David refers to is all about one's worship of God, having a reverential awe of who God is. So we don't have a passive or simple or casual view of who God is. When we worship God, there is a awe. There is an awesomeness. There is an God is mighty and majestic and powerful. And I want to worship him rightly. I want to see him as he is. So the fear, this fear of the Lord, this right worship of God, it is clean. What does that mean? Well, it's clean from any stain or immorality. It's clear of any corruption or pollution. Can you imagine something in this world to say this is, this is 100% clean? Even our best disinfectants can only say 99% clean. Only. God's word, it's pure. It's clean. It is totally clean. Lauren and I went to Cancun, Mexico for our honeymoon. And the one thing, and I'm sure everybody knows this, the one thing you don't do in Mexico is drink the tap water. You drink bottled water. And I drank tap water. And uh, it was right after we finished um, snorkeling, and there was a cooler, and I was thirsty. And I thought, yeah, give me a cup of water. And I drank that water, and sure enough, let's just say I regretted it. And let's just say my, so did my new and dear wife regret it. And purity is important for our bodies. What we put in our body matters. But I would say even more important are the voices we listen to. The truths that, are follow, that we're following. 
the, the, the people, the movements, the things that, what are you aligning your life to? Listen to Jeremiah's accusation of the people of Israel. Be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hoed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so this, this clean water that is in God's word, this, this, this clean without impurity, without stain, without any question, we turn from it, don't we? And we begin to find these other wells to drink from. And they make us sick. And they, they make us in our sins. Actually, they fill us with sin against God and they actually lead us to death. And yet God, He said here in His Word, I have clean, living, refreshing, sure water. So what well are you drinking from? Whose voices occupy your thoughts and fill you with fear? Is it the ever-shifting sands of our world and culture? Or is it the ever-enduring Word of God that never changes? Never changes. It's enduring. Voltaire was a leading figure and playwright in France, a major part of the Enlightenment and critic of the Christian faith in the 1700s. He made the prediction that Christianity would be destroyed within a hundred years of his lifetime. Only place. He said this, only place you'll find the Bible is in a museum. Yet here we stand over 300 years later and Voltaire has become history. Yet the Bible has not lost its influence on the world. Within 50 years of Voltaire's death, the Geneva Bible Society purchased his, his home and used his own printing press for Bibles. <laughs> the Word of God endures forever. The, the voices that are loud right now the ones that are bringing accusation, the ones that are saying, oh, the Christian faith, the Bible, irrelevant, not going to last. The voices that may be one, that, that are leading you away from trusting and knowing and standing confident in the enduring voice of God, the one that stands forever, those voices soon will be silenced. But God's word will not be silenced. It will continue on. God's word, it is a sure place for us to stand. It will endure forever. We can trust it. Finally, David concludes with the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. So David concludes with viewing God as the divine judge over all that he has created. His judgment are his divine verdicts. His rulings in all matters are true. So we can trust. There's no need to question them, but receive them as truth. And since his judgments are true, they are righteous altogether. They are the standard with, with which all other judgments must be measured. His judgment is the standard of holiness. It's the standard of righteousness. It is the standard of what wisdom, power, and goodness is. There is security. So when we can stand under the right judgment of God, there's security there. We can know that His judgment is right and true. So is there a place right now that we can stand to be secure? Is there a foundation that is immovable? Is there a foundation that is certain, unchanging? Yes, it is God's judgment. It's not the judgment of this world. It's the judgment of God, and it is true. And we can trust Him, and we can draw near to Him. The reality is the judgment that we face was put on another. 
his son, the word made flesh. And we can look to Christ and trust in him by faith and know and see the goodness of God. And that even in sending his son and taking upon our sin, the death that we deserve, all that judgment was righteous. Something that we have never would have never thought to be the case. So these are this is what God's word is and does. Number two, a superior treasure and pleasure. Verses 10 through 11. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. So after examining this diamond, after examining this jewel, after examining the wonder of this word, David does not then put it on the shelf and walk away from it saying, oh, that's a great that's a great word. That's great truth. I'm just going to turn to other things. No, what David does is he says, this is yours to have. This word is yours to enjoy. This word that God has given us, this law that he has given us, this fear of the Lord, his commands, his pre, his, these precepts, they are all for you to have and enjoy. They're all for you to find satisfaction in. So he, he begins by looking at what is the most valuable thing that this world has. Let's think about that. Gold. Okay, it's more to be desired than gold. It's the costly, costliest thing. It's the thing with which you have. You have great wealth. Even fine gold. The gold that had no impurity in it. The one that was, that was just coveted and treasured and wanted. Now, this word is more to be desired than that. It's more important. It's worth more than that. Why? Because this, the source of it is God himself. Where does this lead you? Well, it leads you to God himself. Why does it, what does it profit a soul, soul to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. Do you want you can have all the gold you want. You can have all the treasure, all the money, all the fame, everything you want, but one day it's going to go. But my word will stand. My word will never be taken from you. My word is something that you can build your life on and they can take everything. We've seen it throughout church history. People they've taken people's lives, they've taken people's families they've taken people's freedoms but what have they stood on the sure word of God and they don't regret it because what happened well they gained Christ they gained him what they lost was nothing considered to what they gained in God so not only is God's word a superior treasure but it's also a superior pleasure it's sweeter than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. So sweeter than honey. They didn't have sugar like we did now, which it may be a good thing. Um, but we love sugar. They loved sweets then. And they could go to honey for sweetness, something that was just so amazing to taste, so amazing to, I mean, if you think about honey, it's beautiful. It's an amazing thing that these bees are able to create something that just tastes so good. So that's what, that's what David is saying. Like, it's sweeter than honey. Okay, one more. Go to the honeycomb. Go to the source. Get the freshest stuff. Don't get the stuff that's, all, that's, that's being sold secondhand. Go to the source. It's sweeter than that. It's better than that. Scripture is meant, that's what he's getting at. Scripture is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be tasted. It's meant to see that the Lord is good. These aren't just lifeless words on a page, but it's meant to go into our hearts and have the same effect. When you eat a good bowl of ice cream or if you eat all the cookies and dessert that you've eaten. You eat it and you enjoy it, but then you walk, you walk away thinking, why did I do that? 
Why did I do that? You feast on God's word. You give your life to God's word. You fill your life with it. There is, there, there, there is no governor on how much we get to eat God's word. There is no saying, no, no, that's too much. No, no stay, that's, that's gonna, you're going to get a little overweight. You're gonna, it's going to hurt your heart. It's going to have negative effects. No, when we feast and taste on God's word, God's invitation is to come. Just come. No need to buy it. Just come. Just eat. Just enjoy experience me. It's better than honey. If you don't have honey, that's okay. There's something sweet here that you have that is even better. Jonathan Edwards, in discussing and in, in thinking about the nature of faith and thinking about honey and how we can enjoy God, he said, I can show you honey. I can let you look at it. You can ooh and awe over its beautiful golden hue, the way the light bounces off parts and penetrates parts and radiates a beautiful glow. I can tell you that it is sweet. And you can believe that it is sweet when I tell you that it is, but unless you have tasted it, you don't truly know it is sweet. You can believe it is sweet because I told you, but believing honey is sweet doesn't mean you really know it is sweet. I could be lying. You only truly know honey is sweet when you have tasted it. Have you tasted the sweetness of God's word? Because once you taste God's word, once you begin to enjoy God through his word, it becomes far superior than all things. It becomes far superior. It, it becomes the thing which we orient our entire lives around. So that when you read Psalm 19 and you read Psalm 119, this, the psalmist really means that when people don't follow your law, God, I'm crying because he sees the value of God's word. His life is now centered around this word and he loves it more than anything. He wants to follow God. He has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So the question this morning is, do you enjoy God? Do you like God? Do you want to know Him more? Has your heart begun to get a little hard? Has your conscience begun to get hard? Has, has the things of this world begun to taste a little better than the things of God? Here's the good news. The law of the Lord reviving the soul it will where do you need to go you don't need to go and try to get better and, and and obey god and then try to come and read the bible to earn his favor no you just come to god and you read and you remember this is who god is this is what he has done as we begin reading the bible this year we're not here just to worship the bible we're not here to to elevate the bible no in john 5 jesus had a wonderful correction to the Pharisees that we need to hear, that, that, that we need to remember this morning. He said this to him: You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me. He continues, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope, for if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Isn't it amazing that you can read the Bible and know the Bible your entire life and miss the whole point of it? Pharisees knew the Bible in and out. They're standing before the Son of God and they are rejecting him. We don't want to do that. We want to read God's word and we want to see it as a pathway. The reason it's so good the reason the Bible is so amazing is because in here, it points us how we get to enjoy fellowship with God. It's through Jesus. 
All of God's word, 66 books, one story of redemption, all culminating in Christ. We search the scriptures, not because we think that we, in them we got to follow and find life. No, we follow them because it takes us to the Son, to the Son of God, who brings us eternal life. Who is that treasure in a field that we sell all that we have and we buy that field? Who then becomes the one that we begin to live for and enjoy? So the challenge for us, is not merely to do what God says because He is God, but to desire what God says because He is good. He is better. The challenge is not merely to pursue righteousness, but to prefer righteousness. It is not that we have to read our Bible, but it's, it's that we get to read our Bible. That in these words, we get to enjoy God. And so I end with this quote from John Wesley. He says, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. How to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this end he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Give me that book at any price. Give me that book of God. And so let's, we have that book. We have that book. We have Bibles for, for sale in the bookstore. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give it to you for free. We want you to have the Bible. We want to have the Bible, not just to say we have the Bible, but because in this book, the living God speaks and draws us to himself. There is joy to be had. And so let, with God's help, by his grace and for his glory, let us enjoy God's all-sufficient and satisfying word. Amen? Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are God and there's no one like you. Lord, I do pray for every individual here that you would help us, that you would open our eyes to behold the wondrous things in your word. Lord, we need you to act on our behalf. Thank you for the gift of your word. What a gift it is to us. I pray that you would increase our appetite. You would increase our desire to know you and to experience you and to love your word because through it we get to know and learn more of who Christ is and what he has done. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Jake Simmons during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.